You guys ever heard of self-sabotage? Yeah, it's when things, for those who don't know, it's when things are going really good and then you do something to kind of sabotage the whole thing. Well, I think that's what I might be doing in this series. Because things are going great at Relevant. I mean, we're reaching people for Jesus. We're growing. We're reaching hundreds of kids and students every week. We're impacting our community like never before. We're seeing lives, eternities, families, marriages transformed through Relevant. God's been doing some amazing things. And then later this year, we're going to be doing one of the biggest things we've ever done as a church that I believe we'll look back on in 20 years and say, man, that was a defining, that was a transformational moment, not only in our church, but in my life, because God showed up. Well, evidently, I don't like when things are going good because I know full well that this series can just kind of tank the whole thing. Yet, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, A few months ago, I felt a strong prompting that I needed to do a series that addressed some polarizing issues that are causing so much division in the church, in our country, in families. And when I kind of felt this prompting, I just kept dismissing it, like uh, over and over and over again. Because things are going so good right now. And I knew this series could kind of derail it. And so as I, this prompting just wouldn't go away, I kept just going, hey, God, that's a good idea. But next year, we'll do that next year or sometime in the future. And I just felt this strong sense of like, nope, need to do it right now. And so I just chose to surrender to that. And my job as a follower of Christ, your job as a follower of Christ is just to trust, to do what God would have us do and trust him with the outcomes, however positive or negative those might be. Now, one of the reasons... I felt like I was supposed to do this series is because maybe more than any time in history, we're living in a polarized world where people are being divided into opposing camps. And you know this. It's like everyone's versing one another. Republicans versus Democrat. Christians versus atheists. Liberals versus conservative. Creationists versus evolutionists. Pro-life versus pro-choice. Gay versus straight. Left versus right. Maybe, maybe more than ever before, we're living in a world where everyone is taking their stand by their right positions. Everyone, including you, has some doctrinal, theological, spiritual, moral, social, political, sexual, ideological positions that you believe deeply are right and are true. And the approach that you're inclined to take and everyone else is inclined to take, the, 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 the approach that so many people feel forced to take is to take their stand by their positions away from those people. Those people who disagree, those people who behave and believe and think and differently than we do. Those people, who, those people who are wrong. And what we do when we take our standby positions is we stand over by them and say, you're wrong, I'm right. You're over there on the wrong side and I'm over here on the right side. I'm over here on the true side. And you, you need to change. You need to change your positions and change your convictions and change your beliefs and change your behaviors. And I'm going to tell you how wrong you are until you do. How's that working, by the way? Is anybody changing their minds about anything? Is anyone inspired to come over to your position? Is that making is anyone making you rethink yours? Is it creating anything positive? And the answer is no. I mean, everyone's talking at each other, yelling at each other, but no one's listening. Everyone's concluding, unless you believe and behave and think exactly like me. We're against one another. And that's doing nothing but creating hostility, anger, resentment, bitterness, tension, division within our country, within our communities, within our so many families. And the reality is there are so many issues that are creating polarization in our world and our country today 
But as I thought and prayed about what's causing division, what's causing division between followers of Christ, between people who said they put their faith in Jesus, and thus within the church today, four issues for some reason just kept coming to my mind over and over and over again. And the four issues are sex, gender identity, abortion, and drugs and alcohol. Now, these aren't the only four. But to some degree or another, all four are creating division between followers of Christ and within the church. And it doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way, even if we disagree. So, over the next four weeks, I'm going to be addressing each of these four polarizing issues. And this should be a great time. (laughs) Now, real quick, I want to talk about those of you who are parents of kids birth through fifth grade. Uh, for those of you who have parents birth through fifth grade, uh, if you bring your kids into the gathering, you need to know that we have amazing environments over right across the hall that happens at the exact same time. Sprouts, which is birth through pre-K, and then relevant kids, which is K through fifth grade. And listen, we do everything we can to create relevant environments for, for kids or where they're at in life to help inspire and empower them to take next steps toward Jesus. Because that's what we want. Like, we want to be relevant for them so they know how to follow Jesus where they're at in their life. Well, most of what I say is very irrelevant to them. They're bored. It's way too long. And so we try to create fun environments, great environments, impactful environments for them. And some of you still choose to bring your kids over here every single Sunday. And you can absolutely do that. You're the parent. Do whatever you want to do and whatever you think is right for your kid. Here's all I would say is this might be a good series to maybe give it a shot to try them over there. Uh, And you don't have to choose to do that. But if you choose not to, don't email me. Don't email me and be like, I can't believe you said that word with my third grader in the room. I warned you. So don't email me from this point forward. Now, the ultimate reason why I felt like I needed to do this series is simply because of one reason. And that reason is, is because God cannot be glorified when the church is polarized. Now, here's the reality. We make life so much about us. And we make church so much about us. And by the way, I I believe being focused on self first I believe making ourselves the center of everything. I believe putting our wants, our desires, our needs, our comfort at the epicenter of everything is a big reason for all the problems that exist in our lives and in the church and in our world today. Here are four words. Four words that are hard to hear. Four words, though, that will change your life if you truly accept them and start living by them. And here's the four words. It's not about you. It is not about me. Creator God didn't create us for him to glorify us. He created us to glorify him. It's not about you. God's created will for you and for me is to glorify him. That's the ultimate purpose of our lives That's the ultimate purpose of the church. It is not about you. It's not even about us. It's all about him. Now, regardless if you know this, believe this, want to know or believe it, you want to bring glory to God. I want to bring glory to God. We want to bring glory to God because when God is glorified is when God moves. When God is glorified is when we experience more of God's presence. When God is glorified, we're transformed. Our church is transformed. People are transformed. When God is glorified, things change. Marriages change. Families change. Communities change. Churches change. Lives changed. But God cannot be glorified when the church, when people who call themselves followers of Christ, when Jesus' church 
is polarized from one another or from people who don't know Jesus. Because God is glorified when we follow Jesus together. And we can't follow Jesus together and be divided at the same time. We can't follow Jesus together and be or feel like we are against one another when we disagree with one another. At least according to Jesus. In Matthew 22, Jesus is in the middle of teaching when a Jewish religious leader interrupted him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's asking him, hey, Jesus, of all the 600 plus laws and commands in in our scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, which one is most important to God? And Jesus replied, and he quoted a passage from their Hebrew scriptures, which is our Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The guy's like, cool, got it. Make sure me and God, make sure me and God are good. And then Jesus said, and the second, the guy's going, I just asked for the greatest commandment, not commandments. And Jesus said, well, I can't give you just one because the second goes with the first and you can't pull off the first without the second, so don't even try. And the second is like it, which means equal to it. The second is not second in magnitude or significance or importance, it's just second in sequence. And then he quotes another passage from, the, from their Hebrew scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in the, the first century Jews whom Jesus was talking to, you got to know they only viewed neighbor as other Jews. People who look like them, act like them, believe like them. But with the parable of the Good Samaritan, and if you don't know the parable of the Good Samaritan, you can actually read about it in Luke chapter 10. You should do that this week. With the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus changed the definition of neighbor forever. Neighbor was not just Jewish anymore. Neighbor was everyone. People who look like you and that don't look like you. People who think the same and don't think the same. People who agree with you and disagree with you. People who believe same and different as you. People who live like you and live differently than you. People who you like and people who you don't like. That's your neighbor. And then Jesus said something of extraordinary significance. All. How many? All. That that means not some, not the majority. All. All the law and the prophets, and that's how first century Jews referred to their scriptures. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. According to Jesus, these two commands summarize every conceivable application of all the commands that God gave the nation of Israel. Our entire Old Testament. Jesus' point is unmistakable. He's saying you cannot love God without loving others, and you cannot truly love others without loving God. He said you can't do the vertical relationship without the horizontal relationship. This relationship and these relationships are very interconnected with each other. You can't be okay with God and not be okay with others. You can't follow Jesus and glorify God without both loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Being right with God and being right with others is the only right right. Now, Jesus could have stopped there, but he's Jesus, so he didn't. The night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his 12 disciples together for one final meal. We call it the Last Supper. And he defined how we as his followers are to love one another. And here's what he said. A new, a new command I give you. And they're going, Jesus, only God can give new commands. And he's going, you're right. And I'm about ready to give you one. And here's the one new command I require of all of my followers above everything else. Love one another. Disciples are going, Jesus, that's not new. You've told us that before. And then Jesus took the love he requires of his followers from this point forward to an entirely new level. As I have 
loved you. So you must love one another. The golden rule is not the standard of love. Jesus is saying, I am the standard of love. How I have first loved you is now the standard for which you are to love one another from this point forward. And as the disciples are sitting there recalling all the ways that Jesus loved them over the past three years that they didn't deserve, they had no idea that the next day Jesus would show the full extent of his love for them and for us by dying on the cross in their place, in your place, to save them and save us from our penalty, our death penalty that they deserve and we deserve because of our violation of sin against Holy Creator God, to offer us forgiveness for what they didn't deserve and we don't deserve. And that's love to a whole new new level, to a whole different level. That's something new. That's the love Jesus now requires of his followers. And he goes on to say, by this, by this one thing, loving one another just as I first loved you, not the songs you sing, not the prayers you know, not not the money you give, not the scripture you got memorized, not all the doctrine you think you got right. By this one thing, loving one another just as I first loved you, Everyone will know that you're one of my disciples, that you're one of my followers. This is how everyone will take notice that there's something different about you. This is how everyone will know that you truly have a relationship with me, that you're truly one of my followers. You will stand out like a bright light in a very dark world if, if, if you love one another. According to Jesus, loving one another just as he first loved us is how we follow him. Therefore, is what glorifies God. And that's why God cannot be polarized. God cannot be glorified when the church is polarized. There are three primary goals, three primary outcomes for this series that I've been praying for. The first one is discover biblical truth. Now, I believe the Bible is God's word to us. I believe through the writers of Scripture, God has revealed himself, his character, his created intent, his created desire, his created will. I believe through the writers of Scripture, God has revealed his principles, his promises, his truths. I believe through the writers of Scripture, God has revealed everything we need to know for salvation in Jesus and to follow Jesus. I believe through the writers of Scripture, God has revealed the truth that glorifies him. And the reality is, for some of us, is not that we haven't heard the truth. It's that we've suppressed it, and as Paul, the Apostle Paul described in Romans 1, we've exchanged the truths of God for lies. And I think we've done this in two primary ways. First, through self-worship. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. We the created are so often tempted to try to trade places with the creator. We the created are so often tempted to try to play, trade places with the creator. And we do this. How? Every time we define, our, what our, we define what our own truth is. Every time we define our own understanding of good and evil. Every time we become our own north star. Every time we put ourselves at the center. We become our own little gods who worship ourselves. And when that happens, we suppress the truths of God and exchange them for lies. And you've got to know this. Most of, most of our beliefs, most of your beliefs, are not formed because of anything in Scripture. They're formed from a complex web of 
your emotions, your experiences, your fears, your hurts, your desires, your past, more, more than anything else. Well, if creator, holy, almighty God exists, which I obviously believe that he does, he alone is our true north. He defines truth. We should look to him alone for our truth, our worth, our purpose, our direction. That's actually why I got this tattoo. It's a, it's a compass rose. It reminds me all the time, I have to look to my true north. I have to look to God alone for what truth is, for my worth, for my purpose, not, to the, not outside of me, not to the side of me, and definitely not within me. So let me ask you, what's your truth founded in? What's your truth grounded in? Throughout this series, just so you know, we're going to look to true north. The, the second way we suppress the truths of God and exchange them for lies is by interpreting Scripture through culture. So often we interpret Scripture through culture by going to the Bible to try to prove or justify our positions. Now, as a follower of Christ, we should be interpreting culture through Scripture. We should be going to Scripture to discover God's truths, not to support our desired positions. So my first primary goal for this series is to discover biblical truth around each of these four issues. But let me say a few things real quick before I tell you my second goal. First, this is not a political series. This is a biblical series. For instance, when I talk about abortion in a few weeks, you will not hear terms like pro-life or pro-choice come out of my pie hole. Because those are political terms. They are not biblical terms. You see those terms nowhere in Scripture. As the pastor of this church, I can't speak for every church. I'm just going to speak for this one. As the pastor of this church, I'm not here to push or promote any political agenda, any political policy, or any political party. I'm here to point us to Jesus. As a pastor, shoot, forget that. As a follower of Christ, my primary concern is not our, how our government defines these issues or constructs laws around them. I'm primarily dis, dis, uh, concerned with discovering biblical truth and living my life in a way that glorifies God. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, I hope that's your primary concern as well, not some political agenda or political party or political policy. Secondly, just to let you know, I'm not so arrogant to say that I have God all figured out. But I'm going to do the best job I can to communicate what I believe to be biblical truths and God's heart on these topics. And finally, I'm not so naive to think that most of you don't already have a position on each of these issues. Therefore, you're already waiting to see if I agree with you or not throughout this series. You've already concluded what your position is. You're just waiting to see if I agree with you. And you've concluded that if I don't, you're not coming back. Now, if that's not the definition of polarization, I don't know what is you got to know there's a high likelihood that some of you will disagree with my definitions of biblical truths for, for each of these topics. If you do, I just encourage you to honestly answer some questions. Like, am I interpreting Scripture through culture? Am I interpreting culture through Scripture? Are my conclusions based on truth or my opinion, my background, my experiences? Am I going to Scripture to discover truth or try to support my desired positions? Are you open to the possibility that you're wrong, or are you just interested in defending all the reasons that you believe you're right? Listen, I may be wrong. I might be. 
and you might be as well. That leads to the second primary goal I have for this series that I've been praying about hard for you and for me, and that is surrender. And let me be very clear what I'm going to say next. According to the writers of Scripture, we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. We are saved by God's grace through faith, through putting our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins, our Savior, and the leader of our life, saying, I want to follow you as my Lord Alone, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. That means that none of these issues in and of themselves that we're going to talk about throughout this series affect your salvation because we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. None of these issues keep us out of a relationship with Jesus or take us out of a relationship with Jesus or get us into a relationship with Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith alone. But how we choose to respond to these issues or not respond to them, they do affect our transformation. God wants to transform you more into everything he's created you to be because the more that happens, the more he is glorified. The transforming work that only God can do in us requires one huge thing from us, and that huge thing is surrender. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome about 30 or so years after the events of Jesus' life. He says, therefore, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, I urge, I implore, I appeal to you as people who have put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and lead of your life. As children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's undeserved grace and mercy and forgiveness for you, in view of the saving and redeeming work of Jesus on the cross for you that you did not deserve, in view of God's kindness and love displayed through Jesus for you that you did not deserve, I urge you, to offer your bodies, that's a short way of saying all of us, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Paul's saying, I urge you to surrender all of yourself, your will, your ways, your desires, your wants, your actions, every area of your life to God because this is your true and proper worship. Meaning, this is how you glorify God. It's not about you. Paul goes on, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And the pattern of this world is what we talked about just a minute ago. Self-worship. Defining what our own truth is. Defining our own understanding of good and evil. Becoming our own North Star. Putting ourselves at the center. Paul's saying, as followers of Christ, don't conform to that. But instead, be transformed. And here's how. By renewing, by the renewing of your mind. Paul said, be transformed by surrendering not only your body, but your mind to the truths and promises and will of God, our true North Star. And if you do, then as a result, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. As you engage in this process of surrendering yourself to God, you will then be able to know and discern and experience God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will for you, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for others, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for your relationships, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for our church, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for his glory. In the book of Luke, chapter 18, Jesus had a very interesting interaction with an extremely wealthy man. And this man was asking Jesus a bunch of questions about, like, how do I get right with God and follow you? And he really didn't want to know the answers. He just kind of wanted Jesus to suffice him. And so Jesus just kind of, like, listed off a bunch of things from their Hebrew scriptures. And the guy's like, I've done all of those things, so I'm good. And Jesus says, but here's the deal. There's one thing you haven't done. Go ahead and go sell everything you've got and then follow me. 
And this wasn't a command for all of us. This was a command for this guy. Because Jesus knew this was the one thing this guy was unwilling to surrender. He was doing a lot. He was willing to do a lot to be right with God and follow Jesus. But he was not willing to surrender one thing. And we all have that one thing that we're not willing to surrender. And maybe your one thing is something that we talk about in this series. And if it is, I am praying you surrender to God. My prayer for this series is that we all surrender to Jesus, however Jesus is inviting us to follow him. I'm praying that because God wants to transform you more into everything he's created you to be. I'm praying that because in surrender is where we find healing and hope and freedom. I'm praying that because so, so that you can experience God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm praying that so God is more glorified in us and through us. My final goal for this series that I've been praying for is unity. In John 17, the night before Jesus was arrested, it was at the end of actually the Last Supper, John records one of the final prayers we have recorded from Jesus. And in one of Jesus, this, this final prayer we have recorded from Jesus, he prays for someone very specific. And who Jesus prays for is his future church. Who Jesus prays for in one of these final prayers that we have recorded from Jesus is you and me. And he prays something very specific for us and very important for us. He prays for one thing. He prays for our unity. And then he says, this is how the world, us being unified is how the world is going to come to know that I am Lord. Us being unified is how the world is going to come to know the love of God. For God so loved the world. Our Heavenly Father sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross in our place for the forgiveness of our sin because he loves us. And people coming to know God's love for them is how God is glorified. People choosing to love God by following Jesus is how God is glorified. And I believe Jesus prayed this as one of his final prayers because he knew more than anyone else that God cannot be glorified when the church is polarized. That God cannot be glorified when his followers, when his church is polarized from each other or from people who don't know him because we disagree. My prayer for this series is not that we agree on everything. That's not my prayer for this series. My prayer is that by the end of this series, we are more united in loving one another just as Christ first loved us. That we are more united in our commitment to spur one another on toward following Jesus together, even when we disagree, especially when we disagree. And here's what you have to know. Disagreeing isn't a choice. Unity and division are. We don't get to choose if we disagree with one another. Disagreeing isn't a choice. You, you, you don't get to choose if you disagree with someone. We do get to choose unity or division when we do disagree. And when we choose not to be united when we disagree, we stop glorifying God. And thus stop the transforming work of God in us and through us. And do you know where unity happens? Unity happens by standing with people in the messy middle. And we don't do that real good, do we?
Our natural approach is take our stand by our right positions away from those people who disagree. And for them to do the same thing. I'm going to take my stand by my position away from you. And it does nothing but create against a me against you culture. It does nothing but create division. Did you know that Jesus was right? Jesus was right about everything. Jesus was right all the time. He's God. But where he stood was in the messy middle with people who were wrong. And in doing so, he had extraordinary impact without ever changing and without ever compromising his right positions. Listen, you don't have to change or compromise what your positions are to love one another just as Christ first loved us. But you do got to change where you're standing. In the messy middle with people to communicate, I love you and I am with you even though we disagree. And listen, if you think your position is so right, I know you want to influence others. Here's what you got to know. If you ever hope to influence anyone, you better be with them in the messy middle. Because in the messy middle is where relationship is. And influence happens within the context of relationship. The second you lose relationship, you lose any and all ability to influence anybody. In the messy middle with people is where unity happens. In the messy middle with people, tr- uh, with people, transformation occurs because it's where we give the Holy Spirit room to work in our lives, room to work in their lives, room to work in our relationship. In the messy middle with people is how we love one another just as Christ first loved us. In the messy middle with people is where Jesus' love is felt and experienced. In the messy middle with people is where a watching world who doesn't believe what we believe about Jesus, takes notice that there's something different about us because in the messy middle with people, when especially when you disagree, is so countercultural in the world that we live in. In the messy middle with people, hope is found and healing is found. And that's why in the messy middle with people is where God is glorified. Standing in the messy middle with people who disagree is so powerful. But it's also so hard. It requires a lot from all of us. The primary things it requires is that we stop talking at each other. We stop needing to be heard. We stop trying to prove how right we are and how wrong they are. We stop trying to correct everyone. We stop, uh, we, we stop communicating our opinions and our feelings like they're truth. We stop making it all about ourselves. And we start. We start listening to one another. We start remembering that our words carry enormous amount of weight. We start learning one another's stories and understanding one another's pains, pasts, hurts, struggles, and experiences. We start embodying the fullness of both grace and truth at the same time, not the balance of grace and truth. We start remembering that everyone is someone that Jesus loves and died for. Standing in the messy middle with one another, it isn't easy, but it's worth it. 
because God cannot be glorified when the church is polarized. I have a concern in this series. And my concern is not with, about people disagreeing or with people who did disagree. I can't control that. I don't care. Like, I will communicate what I believe to be. I've already said everything about that. I cannot control if people, if people agree or not. My biggest concern in this series is for people who have experienced the things that we're talking about or maybe are struggling or living contrary, that they, that, that, they, that you feel Dang it, I can't belong here. I'm not going to be loved here. And what I would tell you is don't leave. I can't speak for every church. I can't speak for every pastor. I can't speak for every follower of Christ. What I can say is here at Relevant, you can belong before you believe and even if you never believe. You can be loved. You can find hope and healing. Because I know there's so many people who are part of Relevant Community Church who are willing to stand with you in the messy middle. But here's the, here's the deal. It will require you <laughs> to go stand in the messy middle as well with people who don't agree with you and you don't agree with them. And when that happens, it's powerful. And I'm not speaking theoretically. I'm speaking from experience. Go ahead and take a look. I'm so grateful that you guys are sitting with me and having this conversation um, because a lot of people wouldn't expect us to be friends. Mm -hmm. um, you guys are a same-sex married couple. And I am a pastor of a church, a non-affirming church. Right. And so no one would expect us to be friends. Nope. And we have a fantastic friendship and have for 15 years. Uh, obviously has progressed over 15 years. So I just would love to know from your guys' perspective, um, why, like, why do you think that we are friends? Like what has made us friends, kept us friends? You know, I think it's just, having loved each other without any judgment. You've never, I've never felt judged by you. I, I know there's a fundamental disagreement about, you know, the church's stance on things or whatever that, that we have, but it's never gotten in the way. And to me, relationships, I mean, there's really no, no one ever agrees in a relationship 100% of the time. You've never made me feel less than. You've always, um, I've always felt respected even knowing there might be a fundal, fundamental disagreement there and I've always wanted to respect your opinion and your belief because I mean I don't want to be judged for how I have my certain beliefs but I'm certainly not going to pass that same judgment on someone else. Yeah. I would answer the same way that you just answered about me to you of, mm -hmm. of never once have I felt like you guys are like if you don't agree with me then you're against me. And you've never, I've never felt like I have to change what, you know, what I believe to be truth to be your friend. And man, I, I've felt loved by you every second of the last 15 years. Not ever really feeling judged has played an integral part of, I think, the growth of our friendship. I'm just going to ask this question this way. Why are you here? <laughs> like, what has kept you a part of relevance? For the last 14 and a half years and now, like, wh why are you here? I think for me, it's um, 
it's been mainly you that has kept me here. I can't speak for you, but no, that's um, not right. I'm joking. <laughs> I just feel like when I walk into church, like, I mean, yeah, I see you a lot when I walk in or whatever, but it's, I just feel very welcomed and um, not judged and just, I just feel like I can be like myself. Yeah. But I think the pro big progression in the last probably year and a half is our D Life group. Yeah. That has been probably one of the biggest things in my life. The people in our group are amazing. Yeah. And never once felt judged or yeah. unloved. I'm so grateful that you and pumped that you guys engage in that and and knowing that like there are people in that group that disagree. Yeah. And that you guys love each other. I think you told me, uh, uh, Michaela, that they've become some of your guys' best friends, your guys' T-Life group. There is more of a benefit in the personal relationships I've developed, the connections, my relationship with Jesus. Yeah. There's more benefit, there's more love, there's more fulfillment in being here and taking all that away than there is choosing to disengage because we may disagree over one thing. What I love, I mean, knowing where, where I believe God's created intent is what I love everyone to surrender to that. Well, yes, I love everyone to surrender to that. Mm -hmm. But the reality is people don't answer to me for right. it. And um, it's not my job to get people to surrender to it. It's my job to love and walk in the fullness of grace and truth. That's it. And just, it's your job to walk in the yeah. fullness of And I think the really cool thing of what you guys just shared is you would, not have grown a relationship with Jesus, put your faith in a relationship with Jesus, if you wouldn't have been engaged over the last 15 years. Right. And so the fact that people have chosen to love you and you have chosen to love people mm -hmm. here and be engaged, even though we disagree. Hopefully our story um, shows that, you know, we do feel loved no matter what the disagreement is, even fundamentally. Um, it wouldn't cause us to disengage ever. So about 15 years ago, my sister-in-law, Natalie, uh, my wife's sister, friends with Robin and Michaela, invited Michaela to Relevant. We were just starting Relevant. And Michaela said, I, I'm not going. I'm not going to church because they don't like gay people. And Natalie was like, oh, man, like just broke her heart. So... Natalie and her husband Brian, me and Christy and Robin and Michaela got together for dinner and just hung out and talked, talked about all kinds of issues and talked about this issue. And then they chose to come and they've been a part of Relevant since the very beginning, 15 years. They've heard every sermon I've given. They've heard all the things that they can, I mean, they, there's a big thing they disagree with and I disagree with them on. And yet, we stood in the messy middle with one another. 15 years and two months ago, two months ago, Michaela finally put her faith in Jesus. Two months ago. And that never would have happened without in the messy middle. Never would have happened if myself, and you taught, you heard so many other people, and particularly in their T-Life group, didn't stand in the messy middle with them. But if they wouldn't have chose to stand in the messy middle as well. It had to be both. If you disagree through this series, if you like, man, that's fine. The only people, you know what? 
this is going to sound so weird. I didn't say this first gathering. I just feel like I'm supposed to say it now. Um, and when we get to this series, if you feel like you can't stand in the messy middle with people, I hope you find a different church. I really do. Because Jesus stood in the messy middle with wrong people. And he was right. In five weeks from now, we'll either be a healthier, more God-glorifying church, or we will be an unhealthy, polarized one. And it has very little to do with what I preach. It has everything to do with each of us. So if you want to be part of a healthier, more God-glorifying church in five weeks from now, my invitation and my challenge to you over the next five weeks is to choose a posture of surrender. And that posture of surrender starts with really praying and answering this question, what may Jesus be inviting you to surrender now in order for God to be glorified over the next five weeks? Maybe it's your position. Maybe it's your opinion. Maybe it's your pride in thinking you're right about everything. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's your judgmental attitude toward people who disagree. Maybe it's your need to control everything and everyone instead of trusting God with them and with it. Maybe it's your need to be heard instead of your unwillingness to just listen. Maybe it's trying to defend all the reasons that you think you're right. Maybe it's that relationship. Maybe it's your fear, your comfort, your desires. Maybe it's your guilt. Maybe it's your shame. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's that one thing. Thing that you've been unwilling to surrender. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to surrender to God's truth. Maybe it's your thinking, your believing, your behaving in regards to one of these four issues. Maybe it's being willing to follow Jesus if, when, and how you feel convicted and prompted throughout this series. And for some of you, maybe it's surrendering to Jesus for the very first time. Entering into that saving relationship with Jesus by putting your faith in Jesus. Asking Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, your Savior, and the leader of your life. Your Lord. Your God. And if you've never done that, you feel like, man, I feel a prompting to do that today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in a second when I pray. But whatever you think, Jesus may be inviting you to surrender. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Matt and Missy are going to close by singing a song called I Surrender. And this is a song many of us have heard many times. And I want to encourage you that as you sit there to pray over this question, to think of this question, and as, we, as these words are sung over you, that these words are not just words to us, that they're truly like a proclamation that, Lord, I will surrender to whatever you're inviting me to, Jesus. Dear Lord, however you want us to follow you, Lord, and surrender to you, I pray that our answer is yes right now. I pray we're willing right now. Because it's not about us. It's about you. It's about your glory. Lord, for people who have never put their faith in you, Jesus, and if they feel a prompting and conviction, I pray that during this time of this song, they choose to put their faith in you by confessing their need for a Savior because of their sin, their violation of sin against you. And then by declaring, Jesus, that they believe you are that Savior, the Savior, their Savior, because of your death and resurrection. Then I pray they ask you 
to be their savior. That in this moment, they put their faith in you by asking you to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. In Jesus' name. down on my knees again surrendering all surrendering all find me here Lord as you draw me I'm desperate for
I wanna know.